Hello, and welcome once again to the Dice Are Screaming. Oh. I'm Randy. And this is Mike. And together we are the Dicemen of the Dice Are Screaming. So welcome once again for a Friday edition. Hope your weekend's going to be full of gaming goodness and all kinds of fun. And if it isn't, well, you know, hang out with us. We'll entertain you for a few. <laughs> Ah, yeah, if you're uh, nursing your dice until the next time they get to see action, you can always kick back, uh, you know, tell somebody uh, you know about the dice are screaming, and give a listen to some other quality podcasts that are out there, because yeah. there are some terrific ones, or, or kick back, chill in Ten Cars Tavern. Uh, yeah, we have, we're actually in it this week, so we're able to mix it up a little bit. So on that note, uh, right into it. We're going to talk today about something that is very scary, and it's called Monty Hall. <laughs> um, perhaps not the most obvious danger that uh, DMs face. I mean, you know, lost in amidst the stark terror invoked by rules lawyering players and, uh, you know, power metagamers. Uh, People forget about Monty Hallism. It is, it is the danger within. Uh, it is the DM's own temptation that can lead you astray. And we are firm advocates against Monty Hallism. But to explain what Monty Hallism is to well, the non-old schoolers... Yeah, a lot of people wonder, well, like, why do you call it Monty Hall? Well, it's an old term. It used to be a game show, if you really care to know. Well, we're going to tell you anyway. Used to be called, let's make a deal with Monty Hall. And Monty would give out prizes, even to the losers. Everybody got a prize. Nobody walked away with it. Less than a boatload full of prizes. You know, all of expenses paid, trip to Acapulco! <laughs> and, you know, so on and so forth. But yeah. it stuck with uh, gamers because mainly they sat around, you know, watching TV. And so it was just typically like a giveaway. It's, a, it's short for a giveaway campaign. And one of the dangers of it is, primarily, is... Experience points and match guns are the great player mollifiers. Sometimes, to keep people interested, you give away treasure. You know, because that's kind of the goal of the game. Defeat a powerful monster, get some treasure. Wait, there's gold! Yeah, well, the, and gold accumulates in the campaign and can be just as much a problem, which we're going to address. But the main problem is magic items and cartloads of them. So many and so, in fact, that literally you can equip a small European army. Yeah. And I'm looking at you, Lichtenstein, <laughs> with these match cards. Now, to some people, in some games, it's okay. But the real danger lies when you've got way too much magic in the hands of the players that almost nothing is a challenge. Like, everybody's got boots of teleportation, so a pit trap becomes moot. Everybody's got plus five swords, so really hitting anything or combat is just mostly an exercise and in inevitability just going to kill everything in the first couple of rounds, so why even bother? But there are different forms of it, and one of the bigger ones that gets overlooked is giving away too powerful a magic item too quickly. For instance, like, my first experience was giving away a Wand of Paralyzation at third level characters, and suddenly they were just blowing that thing out left <laughs> and right, and everything was just stuck. <laughs> yeah, in the first edition of D&D, uh, Wands tended to have a pretty hefty pile of charges. So you could quickly find characters using that like a machine gun. That every round they paralyze something. Uh, and it doesn't really matter the wand. I mean, 
maybe a more appropriate choice would have been metal and, you know, mineral detection. Well, yeah. Well, but you don't know that until you have the experience, until you find out that the items that you handed out bite you in the ass later. Uh, and that's more of a DM experience thing, that, you know, it's gonna happen. You're gonna release something into a campaign that you weren't ready for, you didn't predict that the players would use it as effectively as they did, and the next thing you know, that item has taken over the direction of the campaign, and you're not really the boss anymore. Yeah. And the reason why this is such a scary problem for DMs is because you're the DM, you're directly responsible for it. Okay, you give it out. And you find out maybe you shouldn't have given out that item. Well, there's many ways to remove that. From everything from pickpockets and towns to a larcenous pixie in the forest to all the way to the extreme measures of quicklings with wands of negation mm-hmm. and rods of cancellation riding on disenchanters. <laughs> I mean, if you get really extreme about it, you can really strip them right down to bare essentials. But... You know, the inverse of Monty Hall is too little. But we're really not going to touch on that. But, you know, do understand that being stingy and even guarded in what items you give out is, of course, part of your job. And, like Mike said, you got to learn a little bit of give and take with that. Yeah, it, it comes with time and experience. It's not really a thing that you should ever kick yourself over, like, oh, I did this terrible thing, you know, it totally blew up in my face. Oh, don't be tough on yourself, all right? Look, you know, it, we might have the old school chops of having done this for literally decades each, uh, but we also made these same mistakes, so it's it's not really a high-pressure deal. Uh, the idea is to find that happy medium. Uh, my rule of thumb is I apply a plus for every four levels of you know, character achievement. That, you know, those who are in between first and fourth level, you know what, it's not unreasonable to expect that they would have some plus one items on them uh, by the time they're around fourth level. Yeah, they get to that fifth and eighth uh, zone, and maybe it's time as they work their way through the mid-ranks of that uh, to start dropping the plus twos. Ninth mm-hmm. through twelfth, time to start seeing some plus threes. And you're running an epic level 18th level campaign, and if you're throwing the appropriate enemies their way, all right, maybe by then they should have a plus five thing or, you know, so, or lying about the party somewhere. And also, it's never a bad thing to maybe give up one plus five item, like a Holy Avenger at 12th level at the end of a good quest. But because these things do add value to the campaign, and they can unbalance if you're not really ready for them. Make sure if you give out a Holy Avenger that you have an appropriate enemy in mind for them to fight with. Like good old Boyd Dathalion and Fed Offense here. Orcus. Oh, yeah. yeah. Delivering the pimp slap to Orcus. Uh, no small thing. Uh, if, they, if you're running a campaign where your players are going to routinely face enormous challenges, things that are going to be very difficult to overcome, then those kind of tools are appropriate. But if you're sandboxing it and, you know, they're 8th to 12th level and they're punching out uh, kings with no consequences because there literally is nothing that can stand against them, uh, you know, there's been a little error in calculation there. The, the rough shot is getting run over everybody because you've got overpowered, over-equipped uh, characters with nothing to challenge them. So that's where you up the ante. And upping the ante is one of the cures to Monty mm-hmm. Hallism. 
uh, you got to make them. Yeah, they got new tools. Put those tools to work. Right. Burn those charges out. Uh, make them. You know, put in overtime. You know, it's like, oh, geez, how many of these Tarasks are there? Oh well, <laughs> yeah. When you're throwing Tarasks player characters, you definitely have gone a little bit over the edge. <laughs> and know. yeah, but you know, hey, five Tarasks at once. Come on, man, bring it. Uh, sounds like a great time. Um, or Cthulhu comes up. Oh well, I guess at the end of that campaign. Um, yeah, the, the good old. It's time to break out the good old Tomb of Horrors, which. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, which, let's face it, that was the classic answer to Monty Hall. Yep. It was D&D's rebuttal moment, where they said, hey, you got a problem with, uh, you know, 16th level characters kicking every butt in front of them, uh, they, nothing even makes them sweat anymore. Welcome to the, you know, catacombs of no save. Oh. <laughs> what do you mean no save? He just kills you. What? I... You stuck your face in a sphere of annihilation. Oh. Your character is utterly and absolutely annihilated. I walked to the orange glowing portal. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and that was it. It was there were some <coughs> clues that let you know that something was there, and then most of the time you found out by hindsight. Two Mahoras is really run right, and well, I'm not saying that we're going to be run wrong, but run in the spirit of the intention is that there are no easy answers. It's a formidable task, regardless of the level, whether you're playing the minimum level for it, which I think is eight or the top end, which is 14. It was designed to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. A lot of people were walking around with big characters strutting their stuff. Yeah, I've got a 14th level Archmage. You know, i got a... Well, I don't know 14th level Archmage, but i got a 14th level Magic user. You know, there's nothing he can't destroy. Well, you hear of this dread secret in the vast swamp. A tomb that stands untouched. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Get in there, and you lose their character, and then they have the shakes and quit playing. But... <laughs> More to the point. <clears throat> PTS out. Uh, triggered. I got PTSD from Tomb of Horrors. Never the same after he went into the Tomb of Horrors. Permanent nervous tick. Uh, no, His it, hair turned white. I, understandable. Um, no, it, Monty Hollowism uh, can be dealt with in a number of ways, but the best way is to prevent it, prevent it from happening in the first place, is to develop a certain amount of equilibrium, and, you know, we, we covered the magical item excess. Right. Risk uh, to reward is what really we're we looking for. Like, an ogre might have a plus one sword, okay? Because an ogre's at first or second level is a pretty formidable challenge. But around fifth or sixth level, you know, Hydra or a adult dragon would definitely have several magic items capable of rewarding players who are able to defeat it. But you got to keep pace with the players, too. And here's another controversial point, magic item shops. Now, a lot of people feel that in old-school vernacular that magic item shops are an anthema because magic items should all be rare and <laughs> unique and treasured. And well right on the treasured part and, you know, rare. But you are going, your characters are going into places that no one easily treads. And especially with having a little bit of give and trade. If you do use magic item shops, they're always going to be well guarded, somewhat secretive, and costly just to look at the wares. Always do this one trick. Have one good item that's about the player's level and make it a little bit more expensive than it would be, you know, out of the lists. And the rest, have it about where maybe you've missed a few things, maybe somebody's always had a plus one shield in their eighth level, Throw a plus two shield in there and charge them for it. That frees up the excess coinage. 
moves things forward, and also they can trade in a few other items for barter and whatnot, and make them pay a pretty hefty price for that. But this is part of the game, and it gives a certain amount of economy to the things that they earn, but keep them rare. You know, a small village might have a person hawking a few potions, or a temple might have a couple scrolls that they would be willing to trade out for a generous donation. But uh, you're not going to find uh, that, you know, plus three dragon slaying sword yeah. just lurking around the corner. You know, a guy in an alley, you know, just, uh, just look, it fell off the back of a wagon. Trust me. Uh, that That is, you know, more in the category of Monty Hall. Uh, make them dear. Make them valuable. Uh, it, let's see, first edition sandbox campaign. Uh, I been running what was originally a low magic campaign where magic was supposed to be introduced gradually. And as the characters have reached high level, uh, you know, I have been a lot more uh, open-minded about what they can acquire uh, in that they have made contacts all over the place uh, and now have their, you know, their reputations working for them that this person would be interested in this. Uh, but originally, I only put in one vent in the campaign uh, that had the ability and money uh, that was nearby and easy for the players to access, uh, who was willing to deal in magical items, uh, because he was the only one available with the um, you know large amounts of portable mm -hmm. cash, uh, willing to take trade in gemstones. Uh, in exchange for the limited, severely limited array of magical items that uh, would crop up. Uh, and it, my rule of thumb was that at any given moment he only had three. Uh, and that kind of kept a lid on egregious magical item shopping. Yeah. There was simply nowhere else to get it except out in the wilderness, punching monsters in the face. Yeah. And I approve. And that's pretty much, you know, what you want to do. If you're running a low magic, Mike's answer is there. If you're running a median magic, the, the standard template for most fantasy standard games. A very large city requires travel, it requires planning to go to, and of course you have to have the accreditations to be seen by these people. I make it very difficult. Not impossible, but just difficult. There's bribes to be paid, and you have to be checked and cleared. They're yeah. not just going to let anybody waltz in with a few uh, coins jingling in a purse. Like, uh, you know, a rarefied auction held on an isolated noble's estate who was interested in these curios. Uh, and then you have to compete with other people. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice little plot hook and can make for a very uh, one-sided, or excuse me, a, a sidestep in the normal campaign uh, to just break up some of the monotony, especially if a lot of players aren't there. And they can also cash in some other items that maybe they don't want or need anymore and, you know, buy up, kind of uh, upgrade or buy up their way a little bit. But all that's part of the exchange rates that you want to set for your campaign. So whatever you do, you know, stick to it, be consistent. But don't be afraid to get out there a little bit and, you know, throw in some places where they can get something. Just make sure that they have a purpose for adventuring, just not going from city to city shopping for the best deals. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of brings us to, you know, one last point of Monty Hallism. We, we covered magical items and uh, the risk versus reward ratio, which you really got to match your, your threats to your rewards for same. Uh, but the last one would be raw coinage. Mm. And 
Uh, the DM guide in the first edition was kind enough to actually include a little warning on, you know, uh, ancient macroeconomics. Oh boy. Uh, that, yeah, you, you cannot simply walk into a humble little Thorpe uh, with 10,000 gold pieces. Yeah, some games like Pathfinder have absolute limits on how, what can be spent and how much money is available. Yeah, before you throw off the balance for that entire region. Which is a nice idea that translates to any game. It can be used throughout uh, various game systems. You know, just some small Thorpe or community is just not going to do well with an excess of 10,000 gold pieces being tossed in. You're literally going to ruin things overnight. But everybody will be in this town running wild for a while. <laughs> It'll be a good time. But, uh, you know, the, the classical answer to that is if they come in waving around thousands of gold very suddenly, uh, in a very short period of time, uh, the cost of things in that town goes way up. Yep. Uh, you know, that gold stopped being worth so much because you brought so much of it there. You uh, evaluate it. <clears throat> and another good point right off of that is another way to, for coinage is encumbrance. Now everybody rolls their eyes or sighs, and usually it's players, all encumbrance. They hate encumbrance. Well, there's a reason. First of all, most adventurers carry a decent amount of gear and armor so that they're fairly well encumbered but usually not overburdened. Now, let's say in the classic example of first edition, I'm going to use this because that's what I was raised on, and it's good for me, good for you. Let's say you go to, the example was, you kill a giant troll out in the middle of nowhere, and all you've got is your backpacks and a few sacks that you've rung with you. And there's like 9,000 gold pieces worth of currency. And some of it's in silver, which are, you know, what, uh, that would be, uh, in first edition, it was what, 20 to 1? 20 silver to a gold? No, I believe it was 10 to 1, I think. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, 10 to 1 each. 10 okay, copper yeah, to so, a silver, 10 silver to a gold. Uh I knew the oddball ratios. Let's not get involved things. in electrum pieces. Okay. Yeah. No, oh, God. Yeah. Burn the electrum. <laughs> yeah. So here you have this large amount of silver, but it's worth a lot. And you only maybe have about 1,000 gold. So the 1,000 gold can fit in most of the backpacks between several players. But the silver, you know, <laughs> that's when you got to make some of the choices. There. Obviously, you're going to take the jewels and the platinum and the gold. But the rest of it, you might have to let go. Now, maybe you'll bury it or whatever and come back and get it later with some henchmen or hirelings. But more to the point, you can only leave with so much. And sometimes they might have to make, do I leave my food behind? <laughs> hey, and it's great to watch them in those straits where, you know, how much gear are you willing to ditch? Uh, remember, you just fought a giant troll and you... You went through uh, how many flasks of oil getting rid of him? Yeah. Uh, you sure you want to throw those out too? Because you never know when you'll meet another one. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that's another great way is encumbrance can logically keep track and control of your gold, how much you're bringing back in your campaign. But again, if, if things have kind of gone south and you find your players are swimming in gold, this is my fourth gold bath this week. Um... <laughs> Then it's time to start looking at ways to strip a player from his gold. And there are many ways. Now, in first edition, when you raise the level, you actually had to pay gold to a trainer. Now, most of the time, that's went by the wayside. So, you know, there are costs and living expenses. I mean, you're an adventurer, right? Are you just going to sit there on all that money and just, you know, live miserly and frugally? Well, okay, Mike, might be your character as well. But, yeah. hey, I will pardon that summer pass when I am 
Oh. Yeah, when you pry it from my cold, dead hand. <laughs> that, uh, this, that Scottish miserliness runs deep in my veins. Uh, you know, I've, I've never met uh, attractive furnishings in a dungeon that didn't merit being lugged back to town. These are worth eight gold each. There's 40 of them. That's another, you know. Yeah, I'm that bad. 320 gold, Mike? Seriously? How many of those are you going to be lugging out of the dungeon? That I will hire a team of pack horses. Well, let's get to it. And this, there you go. There's yeah. ways to strip players of gold. But where would we be without the examples of Conan, Baffert, and the Grey Mouser constantly squandering their gold? <laughs> On ridiculous luxuries, and I've done that too in the in an opposite character. I spent was, ten thousand gold. You had ten thousand gold. Part of the last split from the dragon sword. I spent it all on women and drink, and the rest I fitted away on useless, trivial things. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Yoru of Ket, uh, mm-hmm. with his. Uh, he had to have a palanquin, and as he was riding through town, carried on his palanquin, uh, you know, on you know silk sheets. Uh, he had to have a pet ocelot uh, alongside him. Which, that thing pissed on everything. Yeah, that piss reeking ocelot. Uh, should have named him Byers Remorse. Yep. Um, <laughs> What's uh, his name? Byers Remorse. <laughs> Babu. Uh, look at his spots. Look at his tufted ears. Tired uh, bastard. Well, in any case, I, you know, frittered away every penny because that was the nature of that character. He was a show-off, he loved nice things, and he liked making a big splash when he went into town. So, as fast as he got gold, he threw it away. Uh, He didn't really care. Uh, Other characters of mine have been more notoriously frugal. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Always tucking some away for that keep you're going to buy one day. Yeah. But those kind of expenses are ways to pull characters away from their cash, tempt them. Uh, noble obligations, uh, the purchase of major property, the hiring of troops, uh, the securing of regions, uh, acting on behalf of the throne, uh, unusual tax events required by, you know, like seasonal blight or warfare, uh, things that may call on the character to part with some hard-earned money in exchange for the goodwill of the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, there are ways to pry some of that loose from people. And those can be exercised at those high levels when you, you're not sure you should be letting them wander around with that much cash. Not to mention, if they have a reputation for having huge amounts of portable wealth uh, about their persons at all times, you know, as we mentioned before, uh, same with the magic items. If they're well-known to pay for things with gems because they're carrying a satchel filled with them, it's time for the pickpocket to visit. Mm-hmm. This time, not some little chump change uh, alleyway backshanker. No, it's, it's time for the Prince of Thieves to go for the ultimate mark. Uh, because you try beating a pickpocket's roll from a 16th level rogue. That's right. So, you have any tools available to you to keep things under control, and remember if all else fails, just calmly talk to your players. Most of the time, they'll understand. And if they don't, well, then take it away from them. And then <laughs> smile. <laughs> uh, what happened to my plus five Holy Avenger? Um, it just kind of went away. It broke. <laughs> it can't break. break! It was polished on the chest hairs of Thor himself! Ah, uh, Thor is noble. 
belly of the blind god Luvia. <laughs> the sacred relic. You can't break. Don't give me that ball. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. You know, there are ways to remove it and many and sundry there, but we're, we'd be remiss if we didn't end it on something of a positive note on it. Is besides all the uh, hullabaloo about magic items, magic shops, and giving away too much treasure. Remember, as, as you play, make compensatory rewards available to your players and allow them to enjoy having the rewards of having a well-played high-level character. And make them earn it. They'll respect it more, and everybody will have a lot more fun in the end. Right on. You know, sometimes the, the best way is not out, but through. Uh, yep. You know, just match the challenges you put in front of them to the things that they have had made available to them. And make them work if they seek something. If they really want that only Avenger, well, you know, make the... Hey, I just heard a quest arc happening right, right there. Right there. And your game is writing itself. But all right. Well, a shout-out to all our good friends out there. Thank you for all your loving support and kindness and your kind words. Keep them coming, guys. We love you all, and we appreciate all the praise you're giving us. So, Best wishes. And we're going to wrap it up there. So have a great weekend. Great Labor Day, but this is uh, falling on. So hope you get some good gaming in, and may, may the, the dice, dice always roll, roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out.